that passage goes along well with um, my children's sermon in some ways, and the sermon I'm about to preach, in that, like, whoever the writer of that psalm was, was finding this place of calm in probably uh, a world where there wasn't a whole lot of calm. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times in my world, there's not a whole lot of calm. It feels like there's always more to do, and I find myself grasping and striving. And if we can just take a breath and recognize that we are not alone, God is with us through all of it, it's a little bit easier, not, not easy, but a little bit easier to just kind of stay calm and be in the present moment. I'm going to read this morning from Matthew chapter 6. I'll start with uh, verse 25. This is just like, as I was reading it in the earlier service, I found what the psalmist was talking about, like this place of calm in the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 6. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more important than food, and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? Who among you, by worrying, can add a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Notice how the lilies in the field grow. They don't wear themselves out with work, and they don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his splendor, wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace, won't God do much more for you, you people of weak faith? Therefore, don't worry and say, what are we going to or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? Gentiles long for these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire first and foremost, or seek first and foremost, God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow, tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation of Scripture, and wisdom and courage to apply the truth of it to us. We're uh, opening a brand new worship and sermon series today here uh, at Morning Star in Las Cruces and also at First Methodist in Truth or Consequences. We're calling this sermon series free, uh, spending our time and our money on what matters most. And uh, it's an interesting one and a hard one because I, I'm always trying to preach from a place where I'm good at things. Like, or at least that I feel like I've grown in them. And this is an area like spending my time and my money on what matters most. Um, I find that if I'm not very intentional about it, I'm really bad at it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think I'm alone in this. I think it's just kind of human nature for us to just 
let things happen to us. And so I'm going to talk to you this morning in a different way. Uh, it's going to be a little more conversational, I think, on my part. And then I'm going to give you a heads up about two homework assignments that you're going to have. And you're like, I didn't know I was coming to church for homework. I don't want to do that. Well, you should always come to church for homework, for one thing. But this week, um, uh, tomorrow, you'll get an email from me that uh, will have some journaling prompts and then some other things for you to do throughout the week. And if you're in a growth group, hopefully your growth group will be talking about these things. If you're in a Sunday school class, hopefully they'll be talking about them. And if you're not, hopefully you'll talk about the, the journaling prompts and the questions that I'll have for you uh, with your friends and family members and neighbors um, as you go throughout this week. When um, Michelle and I were in high school, we met and we were friends and we started dating and we went off to college and eventually got married. And we were, you know, like we wanted our lives to be about something, but we weren't real intentional about it. And then um, we, uh, I ended up taking a job in Carlsbad being a youth minister, and Michelle got a job working at that church directing children's ministry. And we just kind of fell into this work that, that I love, and she was doing children's ministry then, now she's a school teacher, and she loves that work also, like working with kids. And we just kind of fell into it. It wasn't really an intentional decision. We just got lucky to find work that we really enjoyed doing and find a lot of meaning in. Well, that church in Carlsbad um, combined, we got paid less than a school teacher would have in Carlsbad. And, but it wasn't like a big deal for us, right? We just kind of were living our life, figuring out how we would make ends meet. We had this little house that we were renting that had all kinds of character and it was really a cool little place. And then we decided it was time for us to like live a more grown-up life, right? And we decided to buy a house. And so we bought this house that had an amazing uh, house payment. It was a little over $500. I just wish we still had that kind of house payment. <laughs> and we worked hard and fixed the house up a little and did this and did that and saved some money. And we were mostly intentional about those sorts of things. But sometimes we would just kind of spur of the moment, like splurge on something, whatever. Then I decided that I needed to go to seminary, so we sold that house and moved to Denver, and I went to seminary, and when we got out of seminary, I got a real job, right? Like, I got appointed to a church and was getting paid what I felt like was a lot more money, and we went and got approved for a, a mortgage and went and spent everything they approved us for, you know, which is what you're not supposed to do. But the house we bought was amazing. Like, it was this old house with lots of character and beautiful wooden floors and uh, cool things that, like, modern houses don't have, like creaky floors and cracked walls, you know, like all that kind of stuff. But that house, we just filled it with people. And we would have dinner with friends over there. We would have parties. The girls grew up in that place. It was just this amazing thing. But what we didn't do was think about, like, how being what I call house poor, where our mortgage took most of our money, would affect the rest of our lives. And the church that I was planting, we had this worship leader there, his name was Daniel, and Daniel didn't work and we didn't pay him. <laughs> and and uh, he, was, he was in graduate school and his wife was working at a university at like a, you know, like a small administrative job, and so she wasn't getting paid much either. But they were always going on trips and doing all kinds of stuff. And I asked him one day, I was like, Daniel, how do you do that? Like, I, I'm not trying to say, like, I know how poor you are, but I know how poor you are. How are you always, like, going and doing these things? And he goes, well, we just made a decision to 
spend our money on experiences instead of on things. And I was like, oh man, that's smart. <laughs> I need to think about that. So when we moved here to Las Cruces, Michelle and I made some intentional decisions. And it's not like we had a ton of extra money or anything like that, but we bought a house that was like affordable for us. That allowed us some wiggle room to be able to do some things and to purchase some experiences. And I'm really glad that we did. But we still have a lot of learning to do. Like I'm not trying to say I'm good at this. I'm trying to say like I'm trying to learn how to be more intentional about how I spend my time and my money on what matters most. Jesus said some really crazy things about money. Like in the book of Luke, he says, sell your stuff, all of it, and give the money to the poor. And then later on in Luke, he says, life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And then what I just read in Matthew, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, but instead seek first God's kingdom. And all of those other things, they'll take care of themselves. They stand in stark contrast to the message that we hear from the media and that sometimes we tell one another like, you know, you deserve better than that. Satisfy your cravings. You can never have enough. More is always better. The kind of work you do determines your worth. First, take care of yourself, then be generous with the leftovers, or happiness comes with wealth, or resources are scarce. Take as much as you can and hold on to it. Or having resources provides security and control. Or I feel like the most evil of all of them is if you have money, God has blessed you. And if you don't, God has not blessed you. That's called the prosperity gospel. And I think it is pure evil. But for us to listen to the words of Jesus and live into the way that Jesus talks about these things instead of the way our culture and we sometimes talk about things, it takes some real intentionality. And I think the first step to being intentional about that is naming what is actually most important to us. So this week, I'm going to send out some journaling prompts to you. I want you to ask yourself the big questions. Now, Ancient scriptures, the New Testament and the Hebrew Bible, have a lot to say about what our ultimate purpose is. So, like in Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's this thing that in Hebrew is called the Shema, and if you had been at the synagogue last night, I guarantee you Rabbi Carol and all of the people there started off their worship service by saying Baruch Israel and going through the whole Shema, which essentially is this, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus added to it, love your neighbor as yourself. So that's what ancient scripture tells us. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says this, And what, O mortal, does God require of you but to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. 
So those are kind of the big picture purposes that we're supposed to be living into. Love God. Love your neighbor. Seek justice. Love mercy, which is like the opposite of Cobra Kai, right? Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. We're told over and over that those are important. But for us to live into this kingdom of God that Jesus says is within us, we have to know ourselves to be able to live a life where we're living the purpose that we want to, not that is forced upon us. We have to be self-aware and have a lot of self-knowledge. So this week, I want you to do some things, and I'm going to email this out tomorrow morning. You will all get it in your email if you get it. And I want you to spend some time this week doing what most of us hate doing, which is journaling. Just grab some paper, a pen, a pencil, something like that. Open your email, get the questions, and just start writing. Don't spend a lot of time into, like, am I spelling this word right? Should a comma go here or a semicolon? Like, don't waste your time with that. Just write. Whatever the first thing that pops into your head after you read the question is, start writing it and see what God says to you. So the first question is going to be this. What am I most passionate about? When do I feel alive and vital and energized? And answering that question will help you identify the unique way that you were made in this world. How would I describe my personality? Am I an introvert? Or am I an extrovert? And I want to pause right there to explain introversion and extroversion because sometimes we think introversion means being shy or quiet or reserved. That's not introversion. So you may find this hard to believe, but Stuart Davenport, anybody, everybody, anybody knows, everybody, if you know Stuart, did you know he is an introvert? Because it's about energy. Right? So Stuart can come in here and he's going to be all crazy and wild. You're going to be like, what's wrong with this guy? Is he on drugs? What's happening? And you're going to think that he's like a full-on extrovert. But when he gets home, bam, he crashes. Because it takes all of his energy to be in a crowd with people. Me, on the other hand, I'm an extroverted extrovert. Like, I love being here. I love talking to you. I can't believe the conversations that I get to have and the words I get to say. And you all sit there and listen to me just ramble on, and I just want to keep rambling, and you're like, I know. <laughs> and then I go home, and I am so tired that I want to lay down and take a nap, but my brain is just, just spinning because it energizes me. So I'm an extrovert. I'm energized by being in a crowd of people. Introverts kind of wipes them out to be in a crowd of people regardless of how they act, right? So as you're thinking about your personality, are you an introvert, are you an extrovert? What are your core yearnings that motivate your actions? What, what, where does your motivation come from? So I, this is going to be hard for me, and, I, and I'm not joking, like this is hard what I'm about to do for me, because I am motivated by a fear of being harmed. Like, not physically, I don't walk around like worried about that. Like, if I, if I confide in Kathy, my concern is, like, I've confided in her, now she has information, and she can do something with that. Right? So, like, I'm going to be really careful, like, who I trust, what I'm going to say to people. Because I'm motivated by fear a little bit. And so I try to control the world around me, not because I have any desire to control anybody, I just have a desire to not be controlled. Does that make sense? 
So think about what motivates you. What at your core are your motivations? And journal a little bit about that. And when you're reflecting on this, think about like visions and goals that you have and why those things stir your heart. The other, another question I'm going to ask you is who is calling out the best in you? What do people recognize and affirm about the best of you and how you interact with the world around you? And if you don't know, ask people. And if you don't have somebody that's calling out the best in you, let's help you. Like, find some people who can do that for you because we all need others to hold us accountable and call us to other things. So I, it's going to be a series of questions like that that I want you to go through and answer. And I just want you to answer them from your gut. And I don't care if you're 12 years old or if you're 88 years old. I think this is an important thing for us all to be working at. So that we will know who we are. Because I think that the more self-knowledge we have, the more we know about how we were created, the more we can know our creator. And so we're going to spend some time together thinking about these things and talking about them throughout the week. And then what I want you to do so that you can live intentionally is after you do all of that and process it for several days, I want you to come up with a five-word personal purpose statement. And if you're like me, you're like really idly about purpose statements. I'm just like, oh my gosh, so corporate. But I think it's important for us to be intentional about who we are and why we do what we do. And I'm not talking at all about jobs and careers in this whole time today. I'm not talking about that at all. Because we can be who we are and do what we want to be about regardless of the jobs that we have. Regardless of how we make our money. So, like, my five words that I came up with as I was thinking about this are healer, advocate, lover, teacher, and helper. When I die, and most of you are dead and some of you are at my funeral, I want my life to be described as he was a healer, he was an advocate, gosh, that guy loved people. He was a teacher, and he was a helper. That's what I want my purpose in life to be about. So I want you to spend some time thinking about what five words do you want your life to be about, and then put a sentence to each one. So, for example, one of my sentences. Lover, I want to be a caring and present husband, father, son, sibling, and friend. That's what I think it looks like for me to be a loving person, to be caring and present for the people that matter most in my life. I want to be a healer. I want to be a friend and a presence in the lives of those who are struggling to find healing from wounds that have been inflicted on them and wounds that they have inflicted on themselves. not yet come up with sentences for all of the other ones. So I'll be in this with you this week. And one of the things that I think if we have families, it would be really cool to do, and my daughters don't know this, but they're going to do this this afternoon, <laughs> is we're going to sit down and come up with a family purpose statement. 
like one family that I know of, they say their purpose statement is know and love God, nurture and care for one another, offer hospitality, and live creatively. <coughs> Too often, we do these things and there are no goals set to them, right? Like, we're just like, okay, we got this thing, we, done our, we did our journaling, we did our homework, we came up with a purpose statement, and now we're done, right? Like, but you gotta put some goals to it. Like, if you have this and you're not living by it, then what's it matter? But I think that often we set goals based off of, like, this thing of, like, it, it reflects where we're most unhappy. So I have a goal of, in two years, to buy my own house. I'll be happy when I buy my own house, or I'll be happy when I lose 30 pounds, or I'll be happy when this thing happens. I want our life goals to be about something bigger than that, right? Like, not about a lack of abundance. Because listen to what the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, said. So he's supposedly the richest guy that ever lived. Like, he, made, he makes Warren Buffett and Bill Gates combined look poor. Right, like he is the richest person that has ever lived, and also supposedly the wisest person, probably barring Jesus, that ever lived. And he spent a big part of his life going around trying to figure out what life was about. And at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, listen to these hope-filled words that he writes. He says, go eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved of what you do. Always be clothed in white and anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love all the days of this meaningless life God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. What? Meaningless? He goes on. For this is your lot in life, and your toilsome labor under the sun Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. I think basically what he's saying is true meaning in life is found in enjoying our food, enjoying our work and our closest friends, being conscious, conscious of the ultimate reality that created us and gave us life to enjoy because it's all going to go away anyway. This time we have is a gift. And we get to have it once. There's a woman named Bonnie Ware who spent a big part of her life providing palliative care to people. And on the last days of their lives, she would start asking them questions. And she says the five regrets that she heard the most in her time giving palliative care to people were these. They would say something along the lines of, I wish I had the courage to live the life true to myself, not like others expected of me. I wish I didn't work so hard. I wish I had courage to express my feelings. I wish I'd stayed in touch with friends. I wish I'd let myself be happy. Man, that's sad. Most people she spent time with over years of her life of giving palliative care to people, they ended with regret of what they wished they had been about. And I think it's because they weren't intentional about how they were spending their time and their money on the things that matter 
most. And they don't take the time, we don't take the time to figure them out and align our lives accordingly. I love funerals. I'm not a sociopath. Stop looking at me like that, dog. <laughs> but when I go to funerals or when I officiate at a funeral or when I go sit in the house of someone, of a family who's grieving the loss of someone, you get to have this experience of remembering someone's life and what they were about. And I, I oftentimes think, that person who died, I bet they didn't realize the impact that they actually made on people. And I wonder sometimes, like, what my life could be about. So a few months ago, I got to officiate over a funeral of a man, and it was the most fun funeral. He, his neighbors showed up, like his neighborhood showed up. And they stood up to tell stories right here, right here where these breadcrumbs are. And his neighbors stood up and they were like, yeah, I hate to tell you they were talking to his wife. But when you would leave, he would get in the car and drive around the neighborhood waving at everybody. He wasn't supposed to be driving. <laughs> and one neighbor said, I, had a I have a special chair in my garage for him because anytime my garage door opened, he must have been looking out the windows because he was coming over to sit down and hang out and talk for a while. And you go to these things and you start wondering, what? What would people say about me? And the great thing is, we get to affect that. We get to change that. We, it's not too late. Like, we can change the narrative of our lives or continue on the path we're on if it's a good one. But we have to be intentional about that. I uh, had a really... This is going to be stinking hard for me to tell, so um, try to hear my words and not see my emotions, you know what I mean? Uh, when I was in, I had a really close relationship with all my grandparents. I, I loved them so much. And uh, I think about them a lot. Like, they were some of my heroes. The way that they lived with faith, whether they would have acknowledged it that way or not, is beside the point. But, uh, golly, my... My dad's dad took care of my grandma. She had Alzheimer's, but she, he took care of her for a long time, and it really just kind of wore him out. And my brother and I had, some, had a really amazing experience. I'll tell you about some other time. But at my grandma's funeral, or maybe it was at the funeral home uh, beforehand, my granddad was standing by her casket, and he said, I did it. I took care of her my whole life. That's not to say, like, if, if she had died first, that he had failed, right? But it's to say he was intentional. He knew what he wanted to be about, and he did it. In Scandinavian countries, they say that men are judged on their wood piles, how they're stacked, how well they're taken care of, and that they need to have at least a full year's wood cut and stacked. Like, right now, they need next year's wood cut and stacked. And it's not about being organized. It's about if they're not there next winter, their family is still taken care of. Their kids and family members will still be able to use their home. It takes intention. 
I'm screwed on the farm. Like, I, I feel like every day I get off track. Like, I find myself spending my time and money on things that don't matter. But we can always correct. It's never too late. So, friends, over these next few weeks, when we're talking about finding true freedom so that we can, my prayer is that we will do the work and that together we will be having conversations about how do we line up our priorities and that we would do all of it in the name of our Creator, 